At this time, I'd like to welcome back to our pulpit our pastor this morning, Darren DePaul. Darren led us last week from the first half of Philippians 3, and he's kind enough to join us again this morning. Darren, come and teach us from God's Word. Well, I am delighted to be back with you this morning. I don't know about you, but (laughs) thank you, ma'am. This is very kind of you. Uh, I've been looking forward to worshiping together uh, all week. Uh, Truly is a blessing. The passage that Jim just read a moment ago is one of the passages in Paul's uh, letters, and there are several, where he references uh, running a race. Are there any runners in here this morning? A couple. Ugh. (laughs) Usually, you know, are you a runner? They're like, yeah. It's like CrossFitters. I used to CrossFit, and uh, CrossFitters are are like that. Do you cross? And you you gotta tell everybody about it. You know, I do CrossFit. You know, you're not even talking about it. Whatever. I used to run uh, a lot. Um, I think I got up to like eight miles, which to some of you is probably not a lot. But uh, then I realized I like donuts and my couch a lot more. Uh, Let me. uh, let me just pray for a moment, calm our hearts and our minds, and, uh, and we'll get into God's word a little bit more this morning. Lord, thank you again for this time to gather together, and thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your kindness to each one of us. God, we're coming in, came in this morning with different things going on in our lives, different things taking hold of our hearts and our minds. And we ask God that you will humble us as we study your word. God, call us uh, to yourself now. Convict our hearts, God, where they need to be convicted and encourage us where they need to be encouraged. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, for those of you that are runners, You'll like this, I suppose, and for those of us that aren't runners, we'll marvel at it anyway. From 1983 to 1991 in Australia, there was an ultra marathon. I don't know if you've heard of these psychopaths that do these things, but the race began in Sydney, Australia and concluded in Melbourne, Australia. It was a 544-mile race. It was considered one of the world's most grueling races. I can't even imagine driving 544 miles at this age and stage in my life. Well, in the first year of the race, 1983, a 61-year-old man named Cliff Young. We have a photo of him here in a second. First year of the race, 1983, a 61-year-old man named Cliff Young showed up on the day of the race to register. Cliff wasn't wearing running sneakers or even shorts, but you can see a photo of him running there. He had work boots on with galoshes over them and pants. He wasn't a professional runner, but a potato farmer and a sheep herder. Can't make this up. Cliff was met immediately with smirks, giggles, and mockery as the runners prepared for the race. 
Well, you can imagine there was quite a buzz. So as all the buzz is going on, the local press starts descending on Cliff and they asked him, how do you plan on finishing the race? I mean, look at him. Listen to his response. Whenever the storms would roll in, I'd have to go out and round up the sheep. I don't know anything about sheep, but they had a lot of them. We had 2,000 sheep on 2,000 acres. Sometimes I would have to run those sheep for two or three days nonstop. It took a long time, but I always caught them. Well, the gun goes off. The other runners ran while Cliff shuffled. His race philosophy was simple as herding 2,000 sheep. Don't stop moving. Just keep pressing on. Five days, 15 hours, and four minutes later, Cliff Young shuffled across the finish line, winning the ultramarathon. He didn't win by a few seconds, or a few minutes, or even an hour. The nearest runner was nine hours and 56 minutes behind him. So how did this happen? Every runner that would do these psychotic marathons <laughs> believed that the only way you could win was to run for 18 hours and then sleep for six and rest. That routine then would be repeated for six, seven days, however long it took. Every runner believed that except Cliff. He pressed on day and night as if he was herding sheep and he shattered the previous record by nine hours. He just kept pressing on. I remember reading about Cliff Young and it's a fascinating story. I was sharing all of the nonsense with my wife on the drive over here this morning, but I remember reading about Cliff Young several years ago and I couldn't help but see the analogy of the Christian life. That's what pastors do. We read stories like this and we go, huh, how can I fit that into a sermon? Here it is. The Christian life is about pressing on. It's about constantly moving forward. It doesn't matter if the world is mocking us and they do, we press on. It doesn't matter if we're exhausted, we press on. It doesn't matter what life throws at us, we press on. The moment we surrender our lives to Jesus, whether it was last week or 30 years ago, our spiritual race begins. And regardless of the situations and circumstances of our lives, we're called to press on. Now, as I mentioned last week, I try to provide a, a big idea or a main point or theme of every sermon that I preach, and this one is quite simple. And I pray that this week you'll be reminded of it because you're going to face some things this week and you'll need to remind yourself of it. It's just two words, press on. That's it, press on. And as we saw last week, the apostle Paul wanted to know Jesus, right? He wanted to know Jesus, nothing but Jesus. That was his singular focus. And for any Christian, it should be ours as well. Jesus, just Jesus. Do you know what makes Chick-fil-A so good? 
I mean, it's God-blessed Christian chicken, right? I mean, we know that. But it's also focus. Chicken is not just a thing on the menu. It is the thing on the menu. So as the Apostle Paul sat in prison, more than likely in Rome, writing this letter to the church at Philippi, he remained focused on knowing and growing in Jesus. By all accounts, his life was not going well at this point. He's in prison. Yet he pressed on. Look again at verse 12, and I'll be reading through the ESV version. If you have your Bibles in front of you, I'd love for you to look at verse 12. He said, not that I have already obtained this, that's the resurrection of the dead, which he talked about in verses 10 and 11. Not that I have already obtained this, I'm not with Jesus yet. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. That's when you come to faith in Jesus, you're united to Christ. It's this union with him. It's a beautiful thing. He had not yet reached the goal. He, he knew he didn't cross the finish line yet, so to speak. I press on to make it my own. Well, what is it? I press on to make it my own. The it is knowing and growing in Jesus, regardless of the ups and downs of life, and we're all going to have them. The Apostle Paul pressed on. That phrase he used, I press on, literally in the Greek, means to pursue or to move forward with intense effort. There is no autopilot in the Christian faith. None of us are going to wake up one day and suddenly be godly and holy. It doesn't work like that. The Christian life takes effort. Now, I need to remind us for a second, right? We're not saved by our efforts, right? Our salvation is all about Jesus. But our effort or our works, as James talks about, are evidence that we're saved. Now, unfortunately, for whatever reason... We often envision the Christian life as easy. As if we're coasting along in life. And it pains me, it pains me as a pastor to say this, but there are so many popular Christian pastors and writers and social media influencers, whatever that is, that promote this kind of message. Come to faith in Jesus and it's going to be easy. And what's sad is, it's, it's not just the prosperity peddlers out there. It's also infiltrated mainstream evangelicalism. The Christian life is not easy, my friends. Living for Christ in an increasingly godless culture, fighting your own temptation day after day, killing your sin... Being a blessing to those around you, all the while glorifying Jesus and staying focused on him is really hard, isn't it? There's no coasting. And this is what drives me crazy about some of those pastors and influencers. They clearly haven't read their Bible. What happened to Paul? 
What happened to Peter? What happened to all the disciples? What happened to our Lord? It's not easy. It takes perseverance. It takes effort. It takes resolve. See, we keep fighting against temptation and sin out there, right? But we've got to also fight temptation and sin in here. And I just want to encourage us and just challenge us just for a moment, if I could. When you stumble and fall as a Christian, when you sin, and you will, be quick to repent and to return to Christ. And don't merely confess your sin. I made this mistake for so many years. Just confessing my sin. Lord, I'm so sorry I sinned. That's a good start. But repentance is so much better. Lord, I sinned. I've offended you. And I'm going to turn away from my sin. And I'm going to turn towards you. That's repentance. That's what the believer does. We press on because Jesus is better. Now Paul provides the Philippians and us, notice this, with a few tips on pressing on. He says, brothers, verse 13, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Here's that whole running thing going on. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul's goal was perfection. His goal was complete holiness. And that should be our goal as well. He wanted to know Jesus completely and fully. But he's admitting, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And then, as I just mentioned a second ago and even earlier, he, he does what he, he does in all, uh, several of his letters. He transitions to this analogy of running a race. He said, one thing I do is forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. Now, it's actually two things, right? But it's the Apostle Paul, so we'll give him a pass. Now, again, the image that Paul has is of a runner continuing to press forward without worrying about who or what is behind him or her. Pressing on. Now the first one thing Paul said was, he said, I forget what lies behind. My hunch is, every single one of us in this room have some things we need to forget about. We need to forget them because they're hindering us from pressing on. Well, Pastor, what do you mean? We might need to forget our our previous reputation or popularity. Because maybe we're trusting in that more than we are Jesus. We might need to forget our past failures or even our past accomplishments. We might need to forget our past guilt, our past shame, our regret. I just want to spend a moment here if I could. Because as a pastor for so many years, I've noticed 
for many believers, this is one of the hardest things for them to forget. Letting go of past guilt. Letting go of shame and regret. And it's preventing them, and it might be preventing you from pressing on. They're stuck. I love country music. Real country music. Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Merle Haggard, Willie, now can I get an amen? I can keep going. George Jones. Some of that stuff now, I'm like, what is happening? Funny quip real quick. Um, we were on the way up here and the music popped on. We turned the car on and it was a Merrill Haggard song. And my wife went, ugh. <laughs> we're newlyweds and we're driving down to Florida and I have Merrill Haggard on. And it's his song, uh, Roots of My Raising run deep and she looks over and she says why are you talking about raisins (laughs) lord help me (laughs) country music honey anyhow willie nelson (laughs) has a song called there's nothing i can do about it now and it's about letting go of the past Willie has a lot he needs to let go of. But listen to what he said. He said, and I could cry for the time I've wasted, but that's a waste of time and tears. And I know just what I'd change if I went back in time somehow, but there's nothing I can do about it now. Now, I'm not saying We build our doctrine or theology on Willie Nelson. But there's some wisdom in those words. We got to let it go. Have you repented? Are you in Christ? Are, Are you united to him? If the answer is yes, then you are no longer condemned. Romans 8, 1 And if Jesus, your Lord and Savior, doesn't condemn you, why are you condemning yourself? The Puritan pastor, Richard Baxter, this is like 500 years ago, 400 years ago, noted in a sermon to his people, essentially the same thing that I'm saying to us this morning, just not in Old English. He said that sorrow, even for sin, may be overmuch. That overmuch sorrow swalloweth one up. In other words, you're drowning yourself in your own sorrow. See, your sorrow and not trusting in the finished work of Jesus will wreak havoc on your walk towards spiritual maturity. Jesus has forgiven you. Press on. Thanks for letting me give you that excursus. But I think it's important. Focus on what is and what will be. Keeping your eyes forward on Jesus and not looking back. 
Well, that leads us to the second thing. Forget what's behind, press forward. Paul said he was straining forward to what lies ahead. Again, he has in mind this athlete running a race and runners strain forward until they reach the finish line. Now, Cliff, the guy we looked at a minute ago, thought nothing of the laughter. He thought nothing of the mockery. He pressed on and won the race. Victory is difficult in any race. There's going to be stress, there's going to be strain, there's going to be headache and heartache. But to reach the goal, we've got to press on. The Christian life is no walk in the park. Not at all, it's a race. And I think that's why Paul is so often using this analogy. It's a race, and the devil and temptation and your own indwelling sin are all right behind you, ready to take you down. So you got to keep running, and you got to keep straining forward. Now, notice we're pressing on towards something. We're not just running like a psycho, like Cliff Young and these other people. We're pressing on towards something. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal is the continued pursuit of Jesus in this life to finish the race well. The goal is to meet Jesus in glory and have him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Matthew 25. Those would be the sweetest words any one of us could hear. The prize, that's the goal. The prize is the incorruptible crown, the crown of life that all of us will receive if we're in Christ. The Apostle Peter wrote in his first letter, and when the chief shepherd appears, You, Christian, will receive the unfading crown of glory. James noted in his letter, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Press on. We press on because Jesus is, is worthy, and Jesus is worth it. Your faithfulness, your pressing on, will be rewarded. Now notice again what he wrote in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Let those of us who are mature think it's not a walk in the park, but it's a race. We've got to press on. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if if in anything you think otherwise, hopefully God will reveal it to you. So if you think it's a walk in the park, we're going to pray that God will reveal to you it's not. See, the maturing Christian knows this side of heaven, they've not arrived. They know they cannot be content standing still in their faith. They know they have to reach forward. They have to reach towards the finish line. And to do that, you've got to keep pressing on. The Judaizers, remember them from last week? They thought they arrived. We're following the law. We're following Jesus. We've got all of our bases covered. We've arrived. We're good. Nope. 
Until Christ returns, we cannot and will not know perfection, but we press on. And did you notice what Paul wrote in the second half of verse 15? He said, if, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. I already touched on this a second ago, but in other words, what he's saying is, if you disagree with me about this whole pressing on business, I'm praying God will reveal his truth to you. Let me just pause for a second here as well. We should be regularly taking stock of our lives. Am I growing in Christ? And my wife kind of taught me this, because sometimes we can ask ourselves kind of yes or no questions, or we could be in a small group and ask yes or no questions, or in a Sunday school, am I growing in Christ? And you look around, everybody goes, "Mm mm-hmm. And then you ask the next question, well, in what ways are you growing in Christ? Ooh, and everybody's quiet. There's no yes or no in that one. You've got to actually answer the question. And you've got to think, how am I growing? Have I grown more in the last two months, the last three months, the last year? Am I further along in the journey than I was two months ago, five months ago? Well, no, I'm not. Ooh, I haven't been pressing on. I need to get on it. We'll get to that in a second. Another good question to ask is, have I become lazy? Am I stagnant in the faith? What's caused the laziness? See, spiritual movement matters. Again, we're pressing on towards something. Only let us hold true to what we have attained, Paul said. Hold on to Jesus keep pressing on. We've grown in Christ. We know that the crown of righteousness awaits us, so we hold on to our Savior. Staying active and pressing on involves spending time. Ooh, this is going to sting some of us. Staying active and pressing on involves spending time with the right people. I didn't like these verses when I was younger, let me tell you. And I was in youth ministry for 15 years, and our young people didn't like them either. Look at verse 17 again. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who, according to the example you have in us, Who you spend time with matters. Who you follow matters. People influence you. A few little quips here. People influence you and you influence people. Every single one of us in this room is a leader in some capacity. There is somebody in your life who is looking up to you. What do they see? See, we need to find, all of us, regardless maybe really of our age and stage of life, we need to find faithful, godly examples. And we need to spend time with them. And watch how they live their lives. Let me go back to the whole celebrity pastor thing again. 
I'm not talking about following your favorite celebrity pastor. They're all a hot mess just like you. They are. They need Jesus just like you do. Many of them don't even write their own books and sermons. True that. Follow people in your life. Real people that you can engage with and interact with. Are you a teenager in your 20s, 30s, even your 40s, maybe your 50s? Look around the room. You you can look around a minute. There are faithful saints in this church who have followed Jesus longer than we've been alive. Their words of encouragement and even correction will spare us from the guilt, the shame, and the sin I talked about earlier. See, we need to imitate the people in our lives that are worth imitating. Faithful followers of Jesus who know they need him, and without him, they'd be a hot mess. See, pressing on is impossible. I've been trying this whole following Jesus thing and pressing on long enough to know that it is impossible to follow Jesus without other faithful believers in our lives pushing us and sometimes pulling us towards him, right? Now in verse 17, he talks about following godly role models. Imitate me and imitate those others around you that are following Jesus. Verse 18 He then goes to kind of the anti-role models. Don't follow these people. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, it's breaking Paul's heart. That there are people that walk as enemies of the cross. Now, these people that Paul is talking about in verse 18 are completely different than the people that he talked about earlier in the chapter, the Judaizers. They're not the same people. Some scholars or some, you know, uh, study Bibles will say that it's not. They're two totally different people, and we understand that because of the context of the passage. The language in the original Greek suggests that this was a totally different group of people. People, people that profess to be Christians but we're living immoral and sinful lives. That's who Paul is talking about here. They were were pretenders. In the roaring 1980s, who grew up in the 80s? Best decade ever. That's why all the fashion trends are coming back now. Thank you, young people. In the roaring 1980s, we used to call them posers. That's who these people are. We love Jesus. I prayed the prayer. I did the thing. I go on Christmas and Easter. I'm good. Paul's saying, no. You're actually enemies of the cross. That's hard. But it's true. Verse 19, he tells us why they're enemies of the cross their end is destruction their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things now their God is their belly 
isn't uh, a reference necessarily to food. It's their God is their belly was actually meaning that they're filled with lustful and sin-filled appetites. And they're actually pursuing those things. And when they indulged in sin, they didn't repent. They celebrated, they bragged, and they gloried in their depravity. I used to have students, unfortunately, in my youth ministry like that all the time. And it broke my heart, and I was brought to tears often like Paul. See, what happens with people like that is their lives revolve around themselves rather than Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to press on. I want to pursue something that has value. Not only today, but for eternity. And that's only found in Jesus. Look at verses 20 and 21. We're getting there, I promise. But our citizenship is in heaven. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. The the true Christian, the follower of Christ, is a citizen of heaven. And they press on actively waiting for the glorious return of Jesus. I am praying for that. I hope I am here when he returns again. I hope he returns even now. I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl tonight and all the junk food I bought. I can't wait to gorge myself. I bought a lot of wings. Amen. Thank you, Lord. But I hope he comes this afternoon. See, the eager and expectant Christian knows and believes that Jesus can return at any moment. And there's a million different sermons we can go off of that one. And why we need to press on and be expectant. But see, that eager expectation that I know Jesus can return at any moment helps to keep us focused. It helps to encourage us to press on, to focus on living for Jesus and not the world. I love what the writer of Hebrews wrote. Let us run, the, with, let us run with endurance. The race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source, he's it, and the perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12. So let me just close with a few thoughts. Are you focused on Jesus? Tie last week into this week. Are you focused on Jesus? Are you pressing on? Are you wanting more of him in your life and less and less of yourself and less and less of everything else? See, as you press on, as you faithfully follow Jesus, look again what he wrote. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like 
his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So as you faithfully follow Jesus, as you press on, as you're in Christ, united to him, the complete and radical transformation that will take place in and through you, when Jesus Christ will return, returns, he will transform your lowly body into perfection. I long for that, and I hope you do too. No more sin, no more struggles, no more cancer, no more aches, no more pains, no more tears. Pressing on means you will receive a perfect, sinless, resurrected body when Christ returns. Amen. We press on again because Jesus is worthy and he's worth it. At the end of his life, Paul again sat in a Roman prison and he wrote a letter to his disciple Timothy. Listen to what he wrote. He knows the end is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. I hope and pray Paul's words will be your words. Keep your heart free from sin, your eyes focused on Jesus. Run the race, fight the good fight, and press on. Christian, your crown of righteousness awaits you. Let me pray as we close. Just take a moment, just where you are, and Maybe just pray silently. Jesus, you're worthy and worth it. Help me to press on. Maybe pray something simple like, God, give me the strength. I don't know where all of us are this morning, but maybe you are stagnant. Maybe you've gotten lazy. Maybe it's, you're barely walking right now, let alone running. Maybe pray something simple as, God, open up my heart and my mind again to see your love and your goodness and grace towards me. I need to be reminded of all that you've done for me and all that you are doing and will do. Jesus, we offer up our prayers to you. We offer up our lives to you. And help us by your grace and goodness to help us to press on. Regardless of the situations and circumstances of our lives, whether we're in an amazing season and everything seems to be going well, or God, whether we're in the depths, help us to cling to you and to press on, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.